What's up, everyone? Hope you're doing well today. It is September 12th, and this is episode 134 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. This is Rafael Garcia, back here after a week off with my good friend and teammate, Sean Humes. How you doing there, sir? Man, good as always. You know me. Staying busy. Ready to talk some of this uh, sport of ours. What did you do with all that free time last week? Oh, man, I was getting ready. I had a, they got me coaching fall ball, so I had a, just getting stuff ready, and then I got some other kids on training, so, like, I was trying to, and I was supposed to meet up with a guy to go grapple, but that fell through, so mostly just training kids in basketball and running errands. Same as always, same day, same stuff, different day. You didn't do anything with the kids or anything? Well, I'm sure you did plenty with the kids, right? Oh, well, that's a, when they, when they get 16, 17, they, they really only come to you when they need money or when you're making them do something. So True. True. I was out of money. <laughs> they had no reason to talk to me. <laughs> so they, they didn't need you this weekend. All right, man. No, well, they... That's how that goes. I'm not, I'm not about that life yet, man, but uh, you know, I'll take your word for it, especially you with running around yeah. with all when, whenever, whenever you decide and you need, any, you need any tips or you need advice, you're like, I think the kids are getting over on me. Just call me. I'll be like, put them on the phone. Nah, ain't going to be doing my boy like this. Get your ass back in the room. Right, only got you, tips man. I need are how to not have kids, man. That's it. That's the only tip I need. That's the only tip hey, I need. That's it. That's an important one. That's a so, real important one. We got a lot to talk about from this past week of MMA, man. We had UFC 242 that went down this past Saturday. So we're definitely going to talk about that main event and what to do next with the um, both Khabib, Namago Madoff, Dustin Poirier, and everyone involved. So we have that to talk about. Then we also I want to talk about Colby Covington and what's next for him and look forward to UFC Fight Night 158. So let's go ahead and start from the top, man. At UFC 242, we saw Khabib Nurmagomedov submit Dustin Poirier in the third round via rear naked choke. And this was really kind of how I feel like a lot of people hoped that the fight didn't go down this way. But no one is really surprised that the fight went down that way. It was all Khabib doing Khabib things, taking down Dustin Poirier, pushing him up against the cage, taking him down, passing to dominant positions. He didn't do a whole lot of damage, it looked like, uh, compared to what we've seen in previous fights. But there was nothing that Poirier could really do. At one point in time, he basically looked at his corner and said, I can't get this guy off of me. When At that point, you know it's um, DEFCON 5 for whoever... Namago Madoff was fighting, but tell me what you saw on Saturday. We'll start there and kind of pick and and, and go backwards from that point. Well, the funny and before I get into it, the funny thing uh, this is, there's a guy I'm friends with on Twitter, Callan Gallagher, good friend of mine, friend of the show. We always we always talk fights. We were the first people to to tell everybody that Rose is going to stop um, Joanna. We talked about how Jessica Andrade was going to get beat. We always talk about we always call the upsets before, before they happen. And a lot of people, and he basically wrote like a two-page Twitter thread breaking down why Dustin Poirier was going to lose this fight. And if you watch the fight, if you ever read the thread, you'll be like, it's, it's like this guy was in the cage five days before it happened. That's how precise he was in his breakdown of this. Um, but back to the question. In the fight, it was real simple. Um, it seemed like Dustin basically trained to get out of, to defend, and, to defend when Khabib got him in certain spots or to work his way out of certain spots when Khabib got him, to, got him there. What he didn't do, he, he didn't show any, he wasn't proactive in the fight, basically. Khabib got to the spots he wanted to, took Dustin down, and Dustin was playing defense. He wasn't defending takedowns with any sort of competency. He wasn't really creating scrambles with any 
historical competency. He wasn't able to lock Khabib down or tie him up on the ground or even kind of relieve some of the pressure. It was all basically trying to survive. In my impression, what I saw was, was a guy who was trying to survive, make Khabib work, and then in the later rounds, see if you could turn it on and put something on him or catch him with something. As the, as the rounds get on later, as it gets a little bit later on, his defense gets a little sloppier, his entries, which are trash anyways, get a little bit trashier, maybe you can catch him. But that I don't I don't really believe that's how you can fight Khabib. You have to make him work. You have to make him pause. You have to make him give you respect. You have to slow him down. You have to back him up. And it doesn't at no point try to do that. Essentially, he he gave Khabib the fight he wanted. If there was a way Khabib could have wanted this fight to go, Dustin gave it to him 100%. He backed himself to the fence. He got into these extended grappling exchanges up against the fence. He basically let Khabib get in on his hips whenever he wanted. And when Khabib he took him down. Dustin really didn't have the guard work, whether it's threatening submissions or just controlling Khabib's posture or, or, or using wrist control to control him well enough to do anything except hold on. Basically, at no point was Dustin really able to put consistent, effective, technical offense together. He was almost controlled from the moment the fight started to the moment the fight ended. And I really don't know if it's a matter of Dustin's lackadaisical wrestling or if maybe his camp made a huge mistake in how they prepared Dustin because there's no way a guy who's been fighting as often as him, who's been fighting world-class opposition as often as him, should come into a fight and actually do worse than Conor McGregor, who was coming off of a two-year break. And by all estimates, Dustin Poirier did much worse in grappling and striking and counter-wrestling. He was outdone by a guy who hadn't fought in two years. And Dustin should have been as sharp as humanly possible for this fight, and he didn't seem sharp, he didn't seem confident, he didn't seem very self-aware of where he, he needed to be at to give himself the best best chance to win the fight. It was just a poor performance all around. And I like Dustin. He's a great fighter, seems like a great guy, but his execution was terrible, and whatever they prepped him, whatever the key points of emphasis was, it was even worse. So we didn't even get a chance to see Khabib have to show anything, because he gave Khabib the fight he wanted, he gave Khabib the fight that he wanted. Khabib didn't have to show up any new tricks, he had to show any heart. He had to show any discipline because Dustin gave him the positions he wanted, and then basically gave him the submission attempts. Get, even even on the even on the feet, Dustin did not really pose a problem for Khabib. It was just a really bad performance, and probably the worst one I've seen from Dustin in like two or three years. This was just like old Dustin Poirier. That's how bad it was. This was Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor bad, in my estimation. So there's really a lot to kind of unpack there, and I want to talk about what uh like the the you mentioned this that Poirier seemed more interested in getting taken down and getting back to his feet and Luke Thomas talked heavily about this on all of his content like last week where someone needs to make the decision that that is not how you fight could be Madoff because you he can take you down and you might get back to your feet the first time you might get back to your feet the second time the third time but that is not an energy-efficient way to fight him, one. And two, you're never going to get that separation needed to get back to striking. He, he talked specifically about guys using their guard and the opportunity there to begin to elevate um, Khabib Nurmagomedov, maybe with butterfly hooks, maybe with attacking from the closed guard, even using your elbows to kind of cut him open and see if you can get him to uh, hesitate before he gets that connection and gets that uh, gets that stickiness to you. That's why Tony Ferguson is such an intriguing uh, opponent, because he 
fights like that. He um he is willing to be on his back, throwing elbows, uh, rolling for leg locks, elevating his partner with butterfly hooks, going for flower sweeps. He does that. He fights that type of game. Think about that for me, Schwan, and and what and uh, pontificate on how a fight with Tony Ferguson might be different than what we've seen uh, up to this day for Khabib Nurmagomedov. Well, the main the thing the two people I always think could be could be the two people. People I feel have the best shot would be Gaethje and, and Ferguson. What makes Ferguson dangerous is there's no area that you put Ferguson in where he doesn't make you work. It's not that Ferguson's the greatest boxer, greatest kickboxer, greatest grappler, greatest scrambler, greatest wrestler. He's not the greatest in any one of those ranges. But in any range you put him in, whether it's range he chooses to engage you in or range you force him to engage you in, he forces you to work. You take him down, he's going to work from the guard. He's going to break your posture. He's going to control your wrist. He's going to throw submissions. He's going to try and create scrambles. He's going to try and transition from the from the, from the the triangle to the arm lock, back to the triangle. He's going to try, like you said, get the butterflies. He's trying to sweep you, try to turn you over. He's going to force you to have to fight against Dustin. When Khabib got positions, Dustin was just essentially trying to survive. He couldn't really get any real work done past the guillotine. And that's just not good enough for a guy who's got Khabib's sort of experience, his sort of comfort, and his sort of seasoning in grappling exchanges. He's so much further ahead of somebody that if you're just going to sit in positions because you need to think or you're going to sit in position to see if you can wear him out with, through control, it's not going to work, work with a guy. He's built and, and he develops his cardio for grappling exchanges. The only way you can possibly exhaust him is if you're constantly making him work. Not, not just work on the ground, but working to take you down, working to keep you down, working to submit you, working to ground and pound you working to control you you got to make him work in every other every facet of every range of mixed martial arts and against in, in dustin's case dustin conceded range he wasn't trying to back khabib up he wasn't cutting angles exiting exiting on angles pivoting throwing check hooks feigning making khabib work to find the spots making khabib work to get him to the fence making khabib work to get to his hands on him he served himself up so Khabib never had to expend any sort of energy. So when he got to those grappling exchanges, even when Dustin was trying to improve position or trying to control him, Khabib was at full strength. He hadn't had to do any real work to get to where he wanted to. Dustin not didn't Dustin didn't give up a takedown by throwing a crazy strike like Connor did or loading up. He gave the takedown by giving him the position he wanted by backing straight into the cage or standing right in front of him instead of pivoting off or angling off. Against somebody like Tony, the minute Khabib gets his hands on him, Tony's going to be looking for submissions. The minute Khabib takes him down, Tony's going to be trying to roll out of it, spin out of it to, to transition to either another submission. He gets put on his back. He's throwing up submissions. He's trying to sweep. He's trying to get back to his feet. There will be no room or no space where Khabib can rest and regain himself if he gets tired or rest in case he gets robbed. He's going to be under duress the entirety of the fight, standing, clinching, wrestling exchanges, grappling exchanges, all the way to the ground and all the way back to the feet. He will always be under duress of being attacked or being finished. That's the main difference. It's not so much that, that Tony's such a technical fighter, it's that he's a fighter in every single range, and he's not. He, he's willing to risk getting knocked out or willing to risk getting submitted to prove the point that he can beat you. Which means he's not. He's not. He's, he's going to take as many chances as it takes to get the win. And Khabib's used to guys who are trying to survive. Like I'm going to try and land his big shot. I'm going to try and stay away from him. If he gets me down, I'm going to try and scramble back up. They're giving things away. They're conceding ranges. They're conceding exchanges. They're not throwing certain strikes because they're afraid of being taken down. They're not pressuring because they're afraid of being taken down. And as a result, they're getting lit up on the feed, and they're getting his, he, 
they're getting clinched up, then they're getting thrown down, then they're just getting beaten within an inch of their life. They're conceding too much. You have to apply pressure. You have to make them work. McGregor did that, and Spots Barbosa did that. But the only people I really know who will do it from beginning to end will be Gaethje and Ferguson. The only guy I know who can do it in every single range of mixed martial arts will be Tony Ferguson. So that brings me to that question then. Is Tony Ferguson the next fight for uh, uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov? His camp claimed that George St. Pierre is next. Um, before the fight, Khabib said himself that Ferguson is next. You have Conor McGregor talking about um, let's run the fight back in Moscow. And then you have Dana White talking about, well, Tony is first, but if they can't make the fight, then there's an argument for uh, Connor. And when I heard that, I took that as that fight with Connor is going to get made first. We all know what's going to happen here. Um, at least my opinion is that they may take the fight to Tony first and give him less than acceptable uh, kind of standards to put him in a position to decline the fight so they can say, hey, Tony Ferguson declined this fight, so we're going to Connor um, McGregor. We know that they are. They're in a position where they don't need to negotiate with their fighters. And we're going to see that in a second when we talk about Kobe Covington. But if you were in charge, Swan, who would you book uh, Kobe Demargo-Madoff up against next? Side note, the thing that made Conor effective when he first came out was he was always active. For a guy who depends on control of distance, timing, and accuracy, activity is key. You have to be active. Coming into big fights is great. When you're levels above somebody, it's a little bit different when they're when there's a, such a gap in a particular aspect of mixed martial arts and the guy's a better athlete than you. Connor wants to get back on top. He needs to be active. That's, that's my goal. That's my tip right off the fact. I don't really think he's going to get the fight because I don't think Tony will turn the fight down. If Tony get the fight by hook or crook, I think he will take short money to get the fight because if he beats Khabib, it opens up a whole new world of opportunities for him. He, I think he's a smart enough guy to not look short-term and be like, oh, I'll, they're only going to pay me 100000 instead of paying me 400000 You beat the man who's undefeated and probably one of the best lightweights of all time in history. You beat him and beat him decisively. The whole world is yours. Don't, don't let the short money rip you, keep you from making the step necessary to get to the goal you want. Um, I think GSP, I don't, I don't know that GSP would take this seriously. I don't know how long he'd take to prepare. I really believe that Khabib wants GSP because outside of Conor McGregor, GSP would be the biggest name he could get and to be quite honest given the skill set gsp shown and how gsp won the middleweight title a lot of people would sign in to see gsp like khabib and a lot of people would think just based off the skill sets of what gsp has shown the entirety of his career that he's actually a threat to khabib and if you look at it on paper he actually is a very hard fight for khabib given his age that's another problem but i really think it's between gsp and i think it's between tony ferguson right now conor mcgregor doesn't have he doesn't have the authority he had before. He's still a name. We still know we can fight because he's done better than anybody else against Khabib. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't won a fight in how many years? And the last fight he lost, even though he was more competitive, he was dominated and he did get finished. So it's going to be hard to sell that fight when Connor's shown nothing at all to show that he's moved past that. I mean, what has Connor done since then? Nothing. He has to win at least one fight, maybe against a Gaethje, maybe against a Paul Felder, maybe against a uh, Cowboy Cerrone. But he's got to win a fight to even have a chance to make this fight look remotely interesting. Because right now, he, he doesn't have any skins on the wall. Um, so that pretty much leaves Tony Ferguson. He's the guy who wants to fight. The fans want the fight. 
It's a fight that's been tried to be made multiple times. It's got a storyline behind it. It's everything you need necessary for a big pay-per-view angle and for a fight that's going to get cross-meet, cross-attention uh, from multiple media platforms. I think that's the best fight. I don't think Tony would turn it down. And um, I really think Connor is third on that list. I think they, they take GSP first. I don't know how likely that is, but I think... I think Tony's the guy who's going to get the next fight. I think he's the easiest guy to deal with. I think he's the guy who's got the least amount of leverage, and I think he's the guy who's hungriest for the title. He doesn't care about all the extra stuff. Connor still cares about his money. GSP doesn't want to be talked to a certain way by Dana White. I think Tony just wants to get the fight and show that he can beat this guy. Yeah, I definitely think that that is the fight to make uh, for... Khabib next. Um, I'm not 110% confident that we will get that fight uh, just because this, there's business to be made. We know that Conor McGregor is the big draw and we know that, that his return even after three years I think was the last time he fought. Even Oh no, he fought, what was it last year when he fought Khabib? But even after all that time off, you know, we know that he is the one that can draw attention and get eyes on the sport again. So let's talk about Dustin Poirier. Uh, he, you know, he, the first thing I want to talk about with him is that the fact, the way he lost and his reaction and response to that is what makes him a role model in this industry. I wrote about that before uh, the fight. You can find it on MMARatings.net where we talked about how great of a fighter he is, but how great of a role model is he even beyond that? And his response to this has been something to else and I love the way the MMA media as a whole has been responding to that because it shows like not only their passion for the sport but they recognize that he is someone that is worth calling a fan favorite because he's not he's in a sport that is so doing so many different things that makes me want to turn away from this industry on a weekly basis. He's someone that brings me back. He's someone that makes me want to root, root for him just for the way he lost his fight, but the way he carries himself as a whole. Do you think that in defeat, this is an opportunity for him to become a bigger fan favorite? Well, I think the main thing about Dustin is he's a good guy. Uh, he's got a good story. I mean, Dustin actually had, had media coverage prior to him in the UFC. I think they did that, that movie that was on uh, MTV. He's, he, he's not an unknown quantity. The biggest thing about Dustin is, how can I put it? He's never, been, he's never been a guy who's been able to get the wins necessary for a person of his stature to kind of take the next step forward. Because Dustin's never been a trash talker. He's not much of a flashy type fighter. And up until the past two or three years he's been a guy who's lost every big fight he's been in to win he lost against uh the korean zombie he lost against michael johnson he lost against um conor mcgregor he's always been a guy who's had all the skills in the world who's been able to give anybody the business except when the bright brightest lights come on and he's needed to perform at the highest level he's always found some way to drop the ball and i don't mean that as an insult towards him look look at his record he'd be like a fighter two away from a title fight and he'd lose a huge fight that would set him back two or three years only on this recent run have you seen a more cleaner more technical more precise and more mature Dustin Poirier and as you've seen that he's been able to put more wins together now it seems like people are just finding out what a great guy he is because he's been successful nobody cares about how great a guy you are or nobody cares about how the struggle you've gone through or the story you have until you get into a position that matters until you start winning Manny Pacquiao had a terrible had a, had a horrible trial upbringing because of his the poverty 
and things of that nature. Nobody cared until Manny Pacquiao was a three-time world champion. Conor McGregor, before he started winning all these fights and calling all the, predicting all these KOs, he was a guy who was living on welfare. Nobody cared about him. And if he kept losing, nobody would still care about him. They care about the winner. They care about the guy who's dominant. They care about the guy who's on top or very close to it. And as, as Dustin became a bigger star, as Dustin became more successful and was constantly put in front of the cameras, that's when we started to learn about all the extra stuff he does, stuff that he's always done but didn't get any attention because he was win or lose, win, lose, win, lose, crushing big win, two crushing defeats. It was always back and forth. He never had the momentum where they were forced to learn his story. Now they are. So he's got a platform to really do something beyond mixed martial arts if he plays his cards right because people are seeing that he's active in his community. He's trying to help other fighters. He's trying to help regular people. This is a big moment for him, even in a loss. In the vulnerability and the openness and the accountability he's showing in this loss is something he can springboard into multiple opportunities outside of mixed martial arts if he's smart enough to do it. But once again, it all comes down to performance. Because if he hadn't gone on this win streak, if he hadn't been the interim champion, if he hadn't had a chance to fight Khabib, he wouldn't be getting any of this attention. And for a guy who doesn't talk trash and isn't particularly flashy, the wins are even more important. Because a guy like Nate Diaz could lose a bunch of fights, but he's interesting, he talks back, he doesn't listen. And he flips people off. He has an edge that draws people in, but both people who are on the straight and narrow and people who like to talk trash and get in trouble. He appeals to both of them. Dustin doesn't always appeal to a broad, as broad a segment as certain people in the in the community of mixed martial arts does. So it's very important that he wins. It's very important that he's involved in big fights because those fights give him a platform to show what he's about and expand his brand. You don't believe me? Look at what fighting Conor McGregor did for Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz doing anything different than he's done for the last seven years. One fight got him huge money into another fight. We got him huger money to come back to fight Pettis, which is going to get him into a bigger fight to fight Jorge Masvidal. All started with Conor McGregor. Khabib Nurmagomedov, he's getting all sorts of props and focus. Not just because he had the title. His title win wasn't as important as his win over Conor. It's being on the big stage and what you do with it, not just in the fight, but outside of it with the camera in the interviews, in the build-up, and in the aftermath. That's what determines what makes you a star. That's what opens up all the opportunities moving forward. You don't think so? Look at Andre Ward, family man. He has all these opportunities because he handled the big stage before and after it. Had he handled it worse, wouldn't have these opportunities. Had he not won, wouldn't have these opportunities. So Dustin has a big chance to really control the narrative about his brand and where he goes from this point on. I hope he takes full advantage of it and doesn't do anything to jeopardize it. Next thing I wanted to talk about, because uh, I want to move on from this topic, is another fight that occurred at UFC 242 between Paul Felder and Edson Barbosa. It was a split, I think it was a split decision. I'm not, I know it was a close scorecard. I can't really remember at this time. I didn't look. But first thing I want to ask you is, who did you have winning this fight? Because a lot of people went Barbosa. That's the majority of what I've seen so far, is that a lot of people went Barbosa, but they had it pretty close. Who did you have winning this fight and why? I probably would have said Barbosa too. Early on, Felder wasn't fighting the right fight. He was essentially just being out. I mean, that whole 30-27, there was no round. And even if you say he won some rounds, there was no round. He didn't win rounds like that. At no point did he win rounds like that. He just didn't do enough damage, nor did he have enough control over Edson for me to give him anything. He had no, I'll put it this way. Edson was closer to dominating rounds than Paul Felder was. Paul Felder might have won some rounds. He might have eked out some rounds. But if 
Edson won him, in my opinion, he won his more, more clearly. He did more damage. And he was able to more or less control the pace of the fight for the large majority of it. I, I don't know that Felder did enough damage or had enough moments of control or threatening for Barboza for me to say that he won the fight. I can say it was competitive. I can say it's close. I, I just don't see how Felder won it, in my opinion. So that brings me then to this next question where I believe Edson Barbosa talked about running it back and Paul Felder said he's willing to do that if it's a five-round fight. Does this fight as a trilogy entice you if it's a five-round battle? I think it has some potential if booked on the right free event, but would you watch uh, a whole card with Felder and Barbosa as, as the main event knowing that they're going to go five rounds looking at the last six that they've given us? Well, ne- none of the fights have been really bad fights as far as action. The first fight wasn't a barn burner, but, but it was high contact. Barboza took over and won the fight clearly. The second fight was more, a little bit more evenly contested. I still felt Barboza did enough, but none of them were bad fights. They, they were what the fans want to see. Fight taking place in multiple ranges, lots of activity, lots, lots of contact, lots of, guy ha- lots of guys having to show heart, grit, and willingness to win. So it's still an appealing fight. I don't know if it's a main event fight. Neither one of these guys is on. I mean, Felder's on a win streak, but he's been beating up guys who have been who who aren't elite. Edson's been losing to elite guys in, in competitive fights, but he's still been losing. So the fight doesn't on paper, the fight does not make sense as a main event. But I can understand them doing it for five rounds because Felder's gonna believe that Barboza is gonna fade and after five rounds, a lot of those same defensive holes and uh the the one-dimensional nature of his grappling will show back up, and I, I would agree with him, too. Three rounds is the perfect fight for Barboza because he can open up enough and not have to worry, not really have to save anything in the tank later on for the fight where somebody like Felder would ramp it up, start laying on him, start being more, more physical, start grinding him out up against the cage and grinding him out on the ground. He doesn't have to worry about that. He can pick his spots, have huge explosive moments of offense, and basically win the fight in the first round and a half and then just hang on for a decision. So the five-round thing makes perfect sense to me, but I don't know that Felder's a big enough name to get a main event, and I don't know that Barboza, at one point he was a big enough name to get a main event, but I don't think at this stage, losing what, two, four of his last six fights? I don't, I don't think either one of them has the cachet necessary to be in a main event. I guess if they were co-main, I could buy it, but a main event, no, nah, I couldn't see that. That doesn't make any sense to me. So let's talk about one other topic from UFC 242 and Curtis Blades, where he got a pretty dominant win. Um, I can't remember who he stopped, but he rearranged his whole face with an elbow. And he, I mean, he just continues to win at heavyweight. He doesn't need submissions. He doesn't need uh, anything beyond his striking, passing, and ground and pound. But that's not enough for him to get past Francis Ngannou, who smoked him twice now. What do you think is next for Curtis Blades, and where does he stand in this heavyweight division? Because he looked good. He looked trim. He looked like he was in good shape. I mean, this is the best he looked to me in recent memory. But where do you see him going um, at heavyweight, and is this someone who can be a champion, especially if you look at his age at 28 years old, comparing it to the rest of the group that are still fighting? He's got the skills. He's got the physical tools. He's he's got enough ring IQ, but the problem with him is it, it's not it's not really a skill problem. 
individually, the issue is he can't he can't transition. He has the same problem Gray Maynard had for all, all these years. He's either striking or he's wrestling. He doesn't know how to mix them or transition from one to the other, and that's why he keeps getting beat by Ngannou. Ngannou was a counterpuncher, accurate guy, ex- quick twitch, good timing, explosive punching power. Walt Harris can't transition from striking into grappling. That's what he does. He always gets caught in the in-between because he has his skill set and striking isn't truly developed, but it's good enough for him to not get overwhelmed or outworked versus these other heavyweights who aren't the athlete he is, who at this stage don't have the snap in their punches or so defensively lax that he can overwhelm them and break them down. And against the guys who can strike with the who can or better strikers, they don't have anywhere near the athleticism or the wrestling pedigree to keep him on their feet, keep the fight on their feet if he really pursues a takedown. But the thing against Ngannou is Ngannou's timing is so well and his accuracy is so sharp that the mistakes that Harris makes in transitioning from striking to wrestling is what gets knocked out any time. And until he addresses that issue, I don't really see how you can be 100% in his corner thinking that he can be a heavyweight uh, champion. He just he just can't do it. I, as you know, you, you have a wrestling and grappling background yourself. Even if you're a superior wrestler, a high-level wrestler, you can't just take blind shots. You can't just go from the cage and shoot from one end of the cage to the other and hope you can grab a ankle or, gra- or gra- get to the hips. Even if you're world-class, against guys who train and prepare for it, that's a risky proposition. We saw what happened to Ben Askren when he, he took a blind shot. It's too risky. And as good as he is, he doesn't know how to work himself into range to find the takedowns or to work himself in without getting clipped. And against certain caliber guys, that's going to work. But against a guy like even a Daniel Cormier, a Stephen Miocic, or a Francis Ngannou, he's always going to run that risk of getting clipped on the way in because he doesn't have any way to make them respect his stand-up enough for him to get in the position he needs to get the takedown, to tie him up, to take some of that explosiveness out of their arms and their legs by leaning on them, grinding on them, and wrestling with them. He, he just can't do it. And until he fixes that issue, he'll be a lot of guys, get to a certain point, and get knocked off all over again. I've seen him on a win streak. I've seen him look good. I've seen him in shape. I still haven't seen him fix this one glaring hole in this fight game. And until he does, I can't buy into it. He can still be a top contender, but against the best guys in the division, I still don't think he gets past them. Sorry about that. I was talking. I didn't. I know I was still on mute. So who would you put him up against? And if you look at the top of that division and you look at how it's shaking out, you have Nganu claiming that he wants a, a title shot. You have Stipe as a new challenge or as a new champion. You have Daniel Cormier in a position where he can demand a trilogy fight. Who would you put uh, Curtis up against next to um, wait that situation out? Well, for him to really have a claim to the title, he's got to beat somebody who's a good fighter, who's got somewhat of a name to kind of force the UFC's hand. I don't think he can be like, because he's never been a champion, I don't think he can be like Stipe and just sit out and wait. I don't think that's a viable option for him, to be honest. Uh, um, if he could get a Cormier, that would be great. But I'm thinking, what other heavyweight do they have that if he beats them would vault him into title contendership? Maybe Junior DeSantos, I guess. But uh, who else is there? I mean, what guy, what, what guy is there with a big enough name that would add some cachet and kind of put him in a position where people would be like, okay, I want to see this guy get another title fight? Maybe if Anthony Johnson comes back, because he's a name, and people have always been a big fan of him. John Jones moves up, but I can't think of a heavyweight that if he beats them, propels him into a title fight, knowing he'd have to fight somebody like Stipe, or he'd have to get through Ngannou again, 
to get to get into that elite contender spot. I, I don't know who he would fight that would make enough interest for me to be like, okay, now I'm ready to see him go again. I think that Anthony Johnson fight is a good suggestion if he was to return to the UFC next year, like he's like he's been talking about. Um, a fight like that would would be pretty good. I think it's a way to gauge whether or not Blades has learned enough to avoid taking a big shot and getting yep. to his positions. Fight, fighting Johnson would be like fighting a little bit faster, maybe worse condition in Ganu, because Johnson still would be the lighter guy. I think he's a little bit faster on the trigger, so it'd be like fighting a smaller, a smaller, less established version of Ganu. He beats him. It's a big win. It's a name win. But if he loses, uh, he goes all the way back to the line, just like he did with Ngannou. All that good will he built up because he was being taught as a title contender again before Francis iced him in like another 30 seconds. So, I mean, he's in a really risky spot right now. He needs a big win to get over the hump. But any loss he has at this stage, especially if he loses in a similar fashion, throws him all the way back. And he's got to take another year and a half to two years to get right back in the same position. Yeah, that's definitely very, very true there, sir. Um, let's talk about Kobe Covington now and the situation he's found himself in where he and Kamara Usman are out of a main event bout. They were originally supposed to be, or at least a lot of people assumed they were originally supposed to be the main event for UFC 244, I believe it is, the one that's in Madison Square Garden, the event that's being headlined by Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz. And... Uh, Kobe's been making the media rounds talking about how the UFC negotiated or failed to negotiate with him, basically offering him a take it or leave it deal, which he decided to leave. So this is a situation, in my opinion, where I hate to say it, but Kobe Covington's right because he found a way to um, get himself into it. Mean, like, love him or hate him, he is someone who had the potential to be a draw for this fight here. He had some, he had him and Kamar Usman were in a position to do some big things here in, in this fight, especially if it was booked on that same card where Masvidal and Diaz were fighting. Unfortunately, we're not getting that because he claims the UFC basically tried to, didn't want to negotiate and they put him in a position where he had to walk away. So from that standpoint, I um, am looking at this. I, the biggest thing I want to know is what number did they offer him, but we'll probably never find that piece out unless if he shares it. But what are some of your thoughts about the situation here? Do you side with how Kobe, with, with the, the steps that he's taking? Or uh, do you think that this was the opportunity, like you said with Tony Ferguson earlier, that he should have taken the fight and then just made the best of that opportunity? Well, uh, Kobe didn't tell me anything I didn't know. We all know the UFC doesn't like to negotiate with people. When have they ever liked to do it? Kobe made the same mistake that multiple fighters have made and they've talked about and they tell young fighters fighters not to there's tons from jen's pulver to god knows who else they said when they're on your side they're buddy buddy with you they're you're riding the jet plane they're rubbing your shoulder after fights they're talking about you in the media when it comes down to negotiating contracts negotiating payment and and negotiating opportunities based off of those things the ufc has no sympathy unless you are a major put butts in seats break pvv pvv records make high rating fights fighter they don't care. They, they, they do not care. So I'm not happy to see Kobe struggle because it's, he's not struggling for the right reasons. He's not struggling because he said something wrong. He's inciting sort of racial and socioeconomic strife with the comments he makes. They're not doing that because of that. They're doing it because he's not a real draw. He says things that are offensive and get shock value 
but they don't have any sort of weight. They don't carry over because there's no sort of cleverness to them. There's no sort of insightfulness to them. There's so no sort of charisma or charm to it. They're, they're, his stuff carries no weight. It's just a real, like the thing he said about Matt Humes, tacky statement. Thing he said about Brazilians, tacky statement. Things he says about all these fighters, they're ham-fisted, clumsy, awkward, poor tastes, what poorly constructed comments that are offensive. They're not funny. I mean, I've seen people make racial comments that aren't appropriate, but you'll be like, man, that was that was a good one. I'm not approving it. I'm not cool with it. But dang, he dropped some ether. He ain't dropping either. He's just saying terrible stuff. And it doesn't translate to sales. He's not interesting. People don't really care about seeing him fight. They're just annoyed and disgusted by him. They don't want to see him lose. They just want him to go away. So he's getting the same treatment that every other fighter gets. He thought he'd get different treatment because of the things he said and the things he's done, but the things he said and done has not generated money, which means you get treated just like anybody else in the organization, which is like crap. The only funny thing to me is in these interviews, he's trying to make it seem like he's trying to fight for all these people and he's worried about his fellow fighters. He doesn't care about his fellow fighters. If they gave him the money he wanted, he would not open his mouth about who to, who's, what he's getting paid and about title shots. Because he didn't mention any of that before. He's only mentioning it because he didn't get his way. Just like Jose Aldo did. Just like Tyrone Willie did. Just like Donald Cerrone does. It's the same story we see over and over again. It's just Kobe's a guy that people hate. So they're glad to see that he's having to... He's getting the raw end of the stick just like their favorite fighters do. Uh, I mean, this this is how the UFC does business. Did he not know? Did he think just because he got to ride in a jet plane and had Donald Trump show up at his fight that all of a sudden things were going to be better for him? No, they don't work like that. They work on money. You make me money, I'll treat you well. You don't make me money, you're getting the same treatment as everybody else gets. Yeah, I mean, I I find this situation very interesting to watch, um, and I'm wondering what's going to come from it, because I one thing I am appreciating the fact that he's willing to call call this type of stuff out, talk about how they're negotiating and not negotiating with him. So it'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out. If you're Kamaru Usman, do you go to UFC and kind of talk around him and see what else you can get. He does have Ali Adelaziz in his corner. We know how much of an impactful manager he is within the UFC. But if you're Kamaro, do you look for other options to um, try to continue fighting if you need to? I thought that Kamaro had turned down other fights from what I understood in interviews. He had turned down other fights. He's not. He doesn't have a huge fan base either. It's like these guys, it's like the same thing happens in boxing. You know, people say, I want the title, he's ducking me, he's afraid. Then they get the title, and all of a sudden, they want money fights, and they want big fights, and they want a new contract. The same stuff they said they weren't going to do on the way up to the title. I just want to fight the best, I just want to be the best. Stipe said that, then he wanted a new contract, and then he was prepared to fight Brock Lesnar if he lost to Cormier. But when Cormier beat him, it's like, well, I can't believe you want to fight a, a fake-acting wrestler. I wouldn't do that. I want to fight the best. No, you were contracted to fight him if if you beat Cormier. You were you were going to sign up for the same fight, dude. You can't you can't call hypocr you can't call hypocrisy. People made fun of Tyrone Woodley, but Tyrone Woodley was actually defending the, the title. Kamara Usman hasn't even accepted his first title defense as of yet. From what I understand, he's turning down fights left and right too because he wants a particular fight. But all these guys like to. call call shots because they think their champion means something. But when Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor, and other guys are showing us, and Ronda Rousey, Cyborg, championship does not make you a draw. You have to have somebody who people care about, somebody with a track record, somebody who has fan interest. 
that helps you sell. These people in and of themselves, they're not draws. You might be a champion. You might be an elite. You might be elite. As a fighter, you're not an elite draw. You're not, not an, elite, an elite interest story. You don't appeal to a broad spectrum of people for whatever reasons, whether it's racial, socioeconomical. I don't know why. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. You just don't appeal to these people. And these people like to talk and act like, well, I'm the champ. I call the shots. No, you don't. You're the champ, but you have a boss. Floyd Mayweather called his own shots because he was the boss. Kamaru Usman is not his own boss. He works for somebody. So he can do what they ask him to do, or he can get the title taken from him. Or they can just force him into a fight that he doesn't want. He can lose it. And they can bury him like they do so many other people. Remember what Rashad Evans told Tyrone Woodley? It ain't worth it, dude. Do it's your job. Get it. your money. Get out. It's, it's, not, it, it's just not worth it. And, and another point is, before I, before I get off this rant, I have to say this one thing. We talk about a lot of sensitive issues here. We talked about the misogyny and mixed martial arts. We talked about the hypocrisy of female fighters bashing no talented, pretty female fighters and then demanding to fight them, even though they know they're not good. We, we've had that comment. We've talked about the racial issues, social economic issues, how they favor certain fighters. But I want to take this from another point. And it relate, I'm just using the race issue or, or something of that nature as an example. If you're a person who's suffering, who's a, who's, a, who's a victim of racism or victim of misogyny, when you stand up and speak your truth, I admit it's brave. I get why you're doing it, but let's, let's not mix it up. That's a life or death situation for you. You need to bring attention to this. You need to speak out because it might happen to you again. It might happen to people you love. It might happen to people you don't know who are, who's a woman, who's a man, black man, who's a Hispanic man, whatever. It might happen to those People, you're speaking up because it's a matter of survival. I get it. I respect it. But, but your choices are either keep quiet and have them kill you or speak up and have them kill you or possibly speak up and make a change. So speaking up is a better option than shutting up because then they'll just kill you quietly. But when you're in a position of strength where you don't have to be involved, to me, that shows a certain amount of courage because you're in the position of strength. Speaking up is only going to hurt your pocketbooks and only hurt your standing and only alienate people from you. So when these fighters who get ripped off start speaking up, that doesn't impress me, dude. You're doing it to get money in your pocket. You're doing it because you're getting shortcut. The guy who needs to speak up, the guy who really needs to take a risk will be the guy who, who already has his money, who's a world champion, who's getting everything he wants. And he's saying, nah, 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 dude, not just me. Everybody needs to get paid. Because when he does that, he's messing up his money. He's messing up his potential opportunities moving forward. He's getting out of his safety zone and getting right down in there with the rest of us. That's a risk. None of these guys takes the risk when things are going well for them. They only say something when they don't get their way. And while I'm glad they're speaking the truth, so we see that the UFC is just the way they are, I can't help but look at the hypocrisy of being like, two, two months ago, you weren't saying nothing because you were getting the money you wanted. You're only saying this for yourself. You're not even really trying to help anybody. You want attention brought to you so you can benefit. To hell with everybody else. That's all Colby's doing. And while it's great, and I hope it helps somebody else, he's not doing it to help anybody else. He's doing it to help him. And I, I, can't, I can't go with that. I don't do that. I step into situations that don't involve me that might get me in trouble because I'm trying to help other people. He's trying to make it seem like he cares about other people, just like Jose Aldo did, but he doesn't really care about them. He cares about himself. And I can't get with that. I, I can't respect it. I can't be cool with it. True, true. So let's move on. And let's talk about this weekend's fight. Because, of course, we have action within the UFC this weekend. And let's talk about the main event where we have Donald Cerrone versus Justin Gaethje, where both of these men are kind of like in a lot of different ways. 
some people can see this fight as a Conor, Conor McGregor sweepstakes because the winner of this fight, in my opinion, should be the guy to face Conor when he finally does, does reserve, does decide to return to the cage. Um, what are your thoughts about that first before you break down how you see the action going? Well, both guys, I could see getting Conor McGregor fight. I, I really do. Honestly, I could actually I could see literally both guys getting the Conor McGregor fight. Because I really believe Conor should get two two to three fights before he even thinks about a challenge for a title. The activity is going only going to help him. And I know I keep bringing this up, and people keep saying he got dominated by Khabib, but out of Khabib's last five fights, who's the only guy to win a round versus him versus Khabib? One guy, the guy who took two years off. Who's the only guy who really backed him up and put something on him? One guy, the guy who came with two years. So he's clearly not as bad as everybody's made him out to be, but he needs to be active and he needs to be sharp. So I wouldn't mind him seeing, seeing him fight the loser of this and then go, because he can make money versus anybody, fight the loser, then fight the winner, then go for the title. That would make sense to me. But either way, neither one of these guys, both these guys, Connor is a bad, bad matchup for both of them. Justin, better defensively than you think, but he still gets hit a lot. He still comes forward. He still comes to kill you or to be killed. Connor is a guy who masters control of distance, has the hair trigger counter game, has a very kicking game, and has a left hand that is still one of the most lethal weapons in mixed martial arts. I don't believe that Justin Gaethje can avoid it. I believe he can do work, he can land volume, he can get to the spots he wants to, but at some point or another, Connor is going to find that chin three to four times every single round of that fight. And one of those times, he's going to put Gaethje away. And again, um, Cowboy, as good as Cowboy is, the fact of the matter is his chin isn't what it used to be. His athleticism, which isn't great, is not as good as it used to be. And even though he's a great grappler, the fact of the matter is, I don't think that he can out-wrestle Connor. And I don't think he can consistently control him and get him to the ground to finish him. And on the feet, Connor's too sharp, hits too hard, has a better chin, and sets too high a pace. He'll pressure Cowboy, walk him down, knock him out. Against Justin, he'll be back and forth. But unless Justin takes his legs earlier, he's going to walk him down, back him up, take him out. It, it, it's really the only two ways I see those fights. It'll be great fights, but there'll be fights that are stylistic matchups that favor Conor McGregor. And in some ways, that may be beneficial to the UFC as a whole if it's a fight that favors him and that they can use to elevate him back into the title picture. I think that either one of these two guys should be the next one to face Connor. I will be, I would watch it. I think it would be exciting across the board. Justin has already begun taking shots at Connor to kind of set that stage. And if he wins on Saturday, I expect him to call McGregor out. Um, let's talk People about, really ahead. forgot how good a fighter he is. I know he's a clown. I know he can be a clown. I know he's got the whatever issues. But people really forget that Conor McGregor made Eddie Alvarez look like he didn't belong in the cage with him. I know, I know Conor is not the greatest fighter of all time, but people really act like this dude can't fight. And that's a mistake everybody made on the way to getting iced by him. Jose Aldo made that mistake. Chad Mendes made that mistake. Eddie Alvarez made the mistake. And they keep on paying for it. I don't understand why people still treat this guy like he's some kind of clown who can't fight, like he's some kind of act. He might be over the top. He might be rude. He might be entitled. The dude can fight. And people keep forgetting that, and that's why they're gonna. You're gonna start seeing people fight him, and you're gonna start seeing people get beat. Very true, sir. Let's talk about. Um, we got Glover Teixeira and Nikki Krylov, uh, the co-main event. Just off the top of your head, who are you picking here? Because anytime Nikki throws steps on steps into the octagon, we gotta talk about him. Um, I really just 
think you got to give it to Glover. Glover's got the seat. Glover's not much on the feet anymore. His chin's not there. His recover ability to recover isn't there. But when he, unless you finish him, and even when you're close to finish him, he always maintains, he has a sense of poise where he can avoid just enough damage to get you to the spots he needs to get you to finish. And he's been finishing guys on the ground left and right. Krylov is nobody's grappler. He's not a great defensive wrestler. He's not a great scrambler. When he does create scrambles, he opens himself up submissions. He's not great off his back. If Glover can get him on the ground and get control of him, the fight's essentially over. And if Glover takes him down and gets on top of him, the fight's essentially over. Glover has been so so slick and so dominating on the ground that you have to think the guys are going to be very wary to open up with him on strikes because his last couple of fights, guys open up, they're beating him from pillar to post. He gets his hands on him, somehow ends up on the ground, ends up finishing. That's been the story of his last three fights. And anybody who's watching has got to has got to be on their p's and q's defensively on the ground or in transition. I don't know who Krylov is. I mean, he's his, he's a little bit more patient, a little bit more structured and what he does, but it's really hard to get past a guy with Glover's type of mental toughness and, and his level of experience. He's still vulnerable. He could get iced by any one sh- shot, but if you don't put him away and, and you're just pounding away trying to find that shot, there's a good chance he's going to turn the fight around on you and win. And so I'm just I'm going to go with experience as I usually do, knowing that Glover could get knocked out with any shot, but knowing that he has such an advantage in yeah. the area of wrestling and grappling that I'm going to say that it'll be another comeback win for him. True. Okay, there. Let's talk about uh, Todd Duffy, the Duff man, coming back to the octagon at um, 33 years old. Man, he debuted when he was 23, and now he's 33, stepping back into the octagon again. What What the hell is going on? Are we walking through a, a time warp? Do you think Todd Duffy is going to get the going to get the W? And why, in God's name, is his nickname not Duff Man? I have no idea what the, I don't. Know why he's coming back to be honest. I'm assuming it's because it's heavyweight and heavyweight, you always have a shot. I mean, let's face it, there's guys who are coming into their 40s and heavyweights who, who can still go a good three to five rounds and not get knocked out by guys who are considered elite heavyweights. So, due to the thinness of the division, the lack of seasoning in the division, and the lack of all round high level skill as far as the width of skill and the depth of skill, coming back to heavyweight is always a chance. I'm sure he's still a better athlete than a, than a, fair amount of the guys at heavyweight. My problem is he was never a great defensive fighter. He's never a particularly level, smart or layered offensive fighter. He was more like a guy who was athletic, big, strong guy who had competent skills in every area. But I just don't, I don't know that he's the same athlete he was when he left. I don't know how sharp he could possibly be at this age. And even a heavyweight, um, a lack of it, uh, inactivity doesn't help, especially when you're a guy who hasn't been known as a real pro or real craftsman in regards to your technique, your strategy, and the style you fight. I don't believe that he can fight the same way he used to fight before. I don't think he has the athleticism. His chin has been shown, has already been exposed on multiple occasions. So I'm hoping to see some growth and maybe some maturity in how he fights. But um, I have no idea what to expect from Duffy. I, I really don't. I, I, I can't say he's going to... can't say he's going to win because I, I just haven't seen anything from him. Um, but I, I'm assuming maybe the UFC... I don't even know why they're bringing him back. He's not, he was never a draw. He's not, he doesn't really have an angle. I, I, I don't know. I guess they just need more bodies in the heavyweight division. They're giving him a shot to see if he can put something together. Uh, I, that's all I can say you, about him. Do you think he can though? Like that's a, that's a good question. Cause have, we know how, we know how heavyweight MMA goes. It's, it's not cyclical. These old guys hang around forever. Do you think Todd definitely can put something together? 
He can if he's actually developed a rounded out skill set. Because the thing is, he got by on aggression, size, physicality, and power. Um, I'm going to assume he's not the athlete he used to be. He's still probably better than average, but I'm assuming he's not the athlete he used to be. And he took quite a few beatings and he took quite a few KOs before he retired. So he doesn't have the option of going with the reckless abandon, abandon all the assaults that he used to do before. Because it's been shown that if you can fire back and survive what he has to offer, you can put him away. So unless his skills are taking a tremendous step forward, you know, or a slight step forward, which would be tremendous for heavyweights, I don't see how far he can go if he's just still a big, strong guy who's looking to get into heavy exchanges. There's too many guys, even in the heavyweight division, who have answers for that. I don't know if his defensive wrestling is much better. I, I can't imagine his def- defense on the feet's great. I know your chin doesn't get better the older you get, and I, and unless his his, stri- his all-around striking and his setups for his wrestling or clinches have gotten better, I don't really see anyone in the area where he can be 100% safe in and say, I can dominate this regardless of who I'm facing. I mean, if, if I have to, all things being e- equal, if I put him in with Andre Arvlosky, I'm assuming Arvlosky knocks him out because I, I just don't know what to expect from him. Arvlosky has improved, seasoned himself, changed his approach to match the lack of physical skills, the lack of durability he has, and he's fighting smarter and more technical than ever. Last time I saw Duffy, he didn't look smart or technical. He looked fast and strong, but I, I can almost, almost guarantee he's not as fast and strong as he was in his last fight, and he was never a technician. So unless he's changed his whole structure and really focused on the technical aspect and the IQ aspect of fighting, I, I don't really know how far he goes at all. I might get a win or two. But at some point, he's going to fight somebody who's going to hit him back, and that's when things are probably going to fall apart. You on mute again? I was, good sir. Yes, I was. Good catch. So... As the Duffman is coming back to the world of MMA and everything's all right in the octagon once again, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on uh, for as we come up on the weekend? I'm working on being with Michelle Waterson still because their fight with Joanna's coming up. Uh, I really think you're doing an article. Michelle Waterson. Don't you? I'm not going to talk bad. Don't you talk bad about her. I got to say facts. I got to say facts. She's the point fighting champion of the world right now, sir. Don't you say anything else wrong with that? So, okay, I'll I'll try to keep it as respectful as possible. I am Point thinking about go- champion of the world. <laughs> I am thinking about maybe delving into women's mixed martial arts again because um I just noticed in a lot of these fights, a lot of these girls who've been around for years don't seem to be really getting noticeably better, even though they're fighting for three and four years. Like you don't see a lot of strategical or technical growth, Juliana. Pena looks like the same fighter she she was when she left. Uh, Sarah Moraz, who's been in the, the UFC for how many years? She looks like the same fighter she was when she was on Tough. Like, I'm not seeing it, and I'm starting to wonder how seriously these camps and these coaches and these trainers take these fighters because if this was a male fighter showing an inability to strategically or technically improve, there'd be huge concerns. But it, it doesn't seem to bother anybody that you have major fighters who are maybe a fight or two away from title fights, title contention, who aren't any better than they were the day they stepped into the cage professionally. I mean, they have the same holes, making the same mistakes, have the same limitations and the same strengths, like literally no variation. And I can't, either the girl 
girls aren't that good or they're not being developed properly. And maybe I'm thinking about doing a part where I kind of look into that a little bit more because there's just too many girls who still can't grapple. They couldn't grapple four years ago, still can't grapple. Couldn't wrestle four years ago, still can't wrestle. Defense was terrible when they first started. Their defense is worse now. How does that happen? How are you paying someone to train you and you are not actually showing noticeable, obvious improvement in any particular aspect of your game? It, it, it makes me wonder how seriously people take women mar- women, women's mixed martial artists as actual fighters. You see a few of them, huge improvement. But a lot of them, if you showed a film from 2008 2000 to 2016, you'd be like, I can't tell a difference. It, it's the same fighter. But yeah, that's what I got on my plate right now. Good thoughts, good thoughts. I'm, I'm previewing ADCC, which is coming up in about... Uh, two weeks, not, well, no, it's not this weekend, it's not the next, it's coming up in three weeks, starts the 28th, so I got that to cover, and uh, MMA as usual, I would not, I might not be covering this weekend's events, but we'll see what goes on from there, and professional wrestling as well, so as always, you know, you can no, talk- wait, 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 one more thing, one more thing, we forgot to talk about this a couple weeks ago, but I just wanted to mention it really quick, Luke Thomas did a video where he mentioned that He's getting out of mixed martial arts a lot because it's hard to get interviews and hard to maintain journalistic integrity because of the temperamental nature of mixed martial arts camps and mixed martial arts fighters. It kind of limits your ability to get access or to have do very good interviews or do very good research because guys don't like what you say, so they're instantly going to shut you off and fall and back away from you, which basically makes you either give favorable interviews or just don't get any interviews. And we're not, we don't have the reach of a Luke Thomas or an MMA fighting or whatever they have, have out there. But I can speak from my own experience that having made assessments of fighters on the show, I've had fighters, coaches ca- call websites I work for. I've had them email me directly. I've had them DM me complaining about what I'm saying. And I know for a fact that in the mixed martial arts circle, it is hard to get really good interviews. It is hard to really address certain issues with fighters or camps because of the nature of the beast. So I just wanted to let fans know that when you listen to shows, whether it's our shows or other shows, and you wonder why you can't, you can't have this fighter on, you can't have this coach on, why can't we talk these things out in depth or specific, specifically or in a civil manner, it's because guys get in their feelings. And as a result, due to the fact that there's no real structure to mix martial arts as a sport, they don't have to deal with writers. They don't have to deal with analysts. NBA guys have to, NFL guys do, MLS guys have to. Even boxers have learned to play the game to make themselves more money. But in mixed martial arts, they don't like what you're saying. They just cut you off until they go on a losing streak, and then they're trying to get any, any interview they can. But due to that lack of structure, there's only going to be a limited amount of interviews we can do, whether it's with coaches, whether it's with trainers, or whether it's fighters, because they have people getting back to them about everything you say. And if they don't like it, they ain't coming on. And I've experienced that firsthand routinely. But I'm still going to tell you all the truth about what I see and how how fight goes and mistakes that were made. That's what, what that's my job to you. To give you the truth, give you the honest my honest opinion, and that's what I'm continue to do. But in doing that, I'm shortchanging myself because I'm basically cutting off people who will potentially interact with interact with me or interact with the show because they don't like me being that honest. But that's what I'm brought here for, to give an honest assessment. True, true. Good thoughts there, sir. Very good thoughts. So let's go ahead and close it out. Let everybody know where you can find us um you can find us on is youtube soundcloud fm player um and i think is it anchor 
Anchor's the new one. That's right. That's right. Anchor's the new one. Um, please, uh, like Raphael says, support, subscribe. You have any friends who like mixed martial arts talk and like, like the full spectrum of mixed martial arts talk? Get, give them a link. Let them try out the show and see what they think. And we'll go from there. We're, we're here for you guys, and we're doing the best product we can in the most original, unique way we can for you. That's what we're here for. And where can they find you on Twitter? At Black Jordan Green, usually being threatened by Team Alpha Male members. So when you hear him talking about that guy who thinks he knows it all, they're probably talking about me. So um, also, oh God, I forgot what I was about to say. Yes, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot questions over to MMA Ratings Podcast at Gmail. You can talk. You can shoot us questions about this show and also about my wrestling podcast. Let's let's chat wrestling. Let's talk wrestling. Whatever the hell I call it. It's a good show. Which, I uh, listen to it. It's a good show. It's a good I, show. I appreciate that, sir. I'm trying to get um, a little bit more uh, exposure on that. Some people are listening to it, and yeah, um, it's, it's it's been fun. This is a very interesting time in professional wrestling uh, because there's a lot. There's a new promotion that's starting up. There's a lot of big business deals being made. So, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot that we can talk about there. But you can catch that show usually um, airing on Fridays. Probably tape a show tonight and then drop that tomorrow morning. But, yeah, man, thank you, everyone, for catching our content. Please be sure to like and share everything you see. And we'll be back next Thursday to talk MMA and probably talk about some foolishness that's gone down between now and then. So thank you, Schwan, uh, for yet another episode. And we'll be back next week. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you, sir.